Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Father, thank you tonight, Lord, for your word. God, let your spirit speak to our hearts. Let it encourage us, challenge us, convict us. Father, we give you full and free reign, Lord, to do whatever it is that you want to do tonight. Hide me behind the cross, Lord so that you alone are glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So verse 7 again, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Why? Well, we know what scripture says. In my sin, my bones wasted away. What does sin do? Sin is literally a cancer. And unrepented sin will destroy us. The same way that we think that unforgiveness, when we have bitterness against somebody and, and, and we're holding on to it because, well, they, they did this to me and you don't understand. I've had heard people say that very words to me. You just don't understand. Well, I do understand. I understand that bitterness is a lie. And what it is is drinking poison expecting someone else to die. There is nothing about bitterness and unforgiveness that does anything other than destroy the very person that has allowed that to take root. And this is what I know in that. I know from my personal experience, it literally is like a cancer. I've not had cancer personally. They say what the human body has had it hundreds of times before a person ever gets it. Your body fights it off. That's a normal progression in the human body. The body tries to replicate DNA the wrong way, but your immune system's able to see it for what it is, it surrounds it, it attacks it, and it kills it. When you have a low immune system or some certain other issues that can happen in life, that's when one of those eventually sometimes can take root, and those are people who battle cancer. But I've never had it in the body, but what I realize about it is it's destructive. And not only is it destructive, but it has the desire to not only multiply, but they call it metastatic, meaning once a little area finds either a, a, a route of travel or another organ associated with it, it loves to invite company. Misery loves company. I always say that about cancer. Cancer loves to invite every single organ and systemically is what they call it. It will systemically it'll attack every system in your body. And ultimately until one of those systems is a vital necessity and many times like the liver, the lungs, the brain, and what happens, you think about the liver and the important function that the liver, what is it doing? It is filtering your blood. Ultimately, when that can't happen anymore is when someone falls victim and dies and cancer. I haven't had that. But what I realize is sin does the same thing. Sin can actually physically make you sick. It can physically attack your stomach. Anybody know about the human emotions? Where does the emotions most notably manifest themselves when someone is worrying? How many people have had ulcers? 
How many people have had multiple ones? Just stretched my stomach because my food wasn't going down. Had one active in there. Yes. That's what, now, my worry is a whole different ballgame. My worry is not like a normal, meaning I don't sit back, oh, no, what am I going to do? No, I actually anguish over people. When people are not doing well or someone's struggling or battling, I bear that with them. I think that's what shepherds are supposed to do. They anguish over their sheep, and I have to figure out a more productive way not to allow it to rest here because that's where my natural tendency is to do. And what has it done? It has scarred up my stomach and now it shut it so that it was having a hard time getting food down. They opened it back up. He said, this is something that will actually be kind of, what do you call it, like arthritis. Now I'll just have to deal with it. And every once in a while I'll have to go in there and have it done. But you don't want to further aggravate it, which when you have sin that's unrepented, guess what happens? It is an aggravating factor that can continue, but not only does it affect the stomach, it can affect your whole entire body. It can affect your bones. In my sin, my bones wasted away. God never intended the human body to endure the effects of sin, most notably unrepentant sin. But see, that's why number one I want to share with you tonight is that this forgiven and blessed is the one that has been washed clean. Is it not amazing if you've ever experienced this, and I would say in this group that you have, you don't have to even admit it if you don't want to. You were carrying unrepented sin. It doesn't matter what it was. It doesn't matter how bad it was. It doesn't matter how small or minor, but you carried this for a while, and you began to experience the effects of the sin and then over a period of time, the Holy Spirit convicted you, whether it was through a message, whether it was through a friend that said something, or whether it was just the Holy Spirit whipping you so good that you finally said, cried uncle, meaning I'm done. And you confessed that sin. You experienced his faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What about that feeling? Huh? Is that not an amazing feeling? Has anybody ever felt the feeling of the weight that you carried of sin being lifted off of you? And you feel like, uh -huh, like a thousand pounds was lifted off of your chest, not even realizing the weight with which you were carrying that until it was released off of you. But oh, isn't it amazing how the enemy loves you to keep continuing to bear that and sometimes even convincing us that in a sense, hey, this is what you should do to do the right thing. He's a liar. He's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But see, forgiven and blessed is the one who's been washed clean. What about the beauty of Psalm chapter 51 with King David after this, this issue with Bathsheba and Uriah? Psalm 51, after Nathan the prophet had come to him, what is it? Hey, Create in me a clean heart. Imagine David at this point. Imagine what he's feeling the moment, the magnitude of what he had done when, when uh, the prophet Nathan came to him and says, by the way, that man is you. Little you lamb, right? Taking the little you lamb, the only one the person had. He tells him that story. And King David's sitting there going, man, I'll tell you what. Uh, who, who, he deserves to die. That man's you. Can you imagine when he recognized, whoa, the kick in the stomach, the shot in the arm, recognizing the magnitude of your sin, but then the feeling right there after the repentance happens. Now, remember, this child that was conceived died. 
So there was some unfolding of that. But imagine ultimately when King David realized the fact that he was forgiven, that God had forgiven him. But he says even the, the picture of create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit in me. What does the enemy do when we cultivate sin or allow it to, to remain for a time? It removes every ounce of joy in our being. It removes the joy of everything that we love and we hold dear. See, he wants us to continue in that camp. He wants us to justify those emotions and justify those actions, sinful, I might add. He wants us to say, well, Lord, look what I've done for you, but look what they did to me. Look what that situation did to me. It is in no way a godly thing. It's in no way blessable, but the blessed person is the one right there we see whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And the only thing, the only prerequisite to this, godly sorrow leads to repentance. And that godly sorrow is recognizing, by the way, if you've offended someone, somebody will say, well, I need to go to them. Well, you don't first go to them. You go to him. The reason that you offended them is because they are his. So you go and deal with him because it's his law that we broke. And we violated one of his people. So we go to him and ask for forgiveness first. And then we go to his creation, and we make right with his creation what was violated by our actions. Very important thing, though, because if we go to the creation before the creator, we've, we've, we've mixed up logistics, right? We've done logistically the wrong thing, and we need to remember that he is always the one we go to first, be, without question. And then verse 8, blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Let me read you real quick what my Bible says under here, because I had seen it earlier. It's really powerful. It says, David, Israel's greatest king, sang about the blessing that God gave him in the forgiveness of his deliberate sin. No works, righteousness here. David understood that in God's accounting ledger, his sins were wiped out and righteousness was inscribed in their place. Paul similarly links justification and the forgiveness of sin in his synagogue sermon recorded in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. But how profound as David recognized the, the magnitude of the forgiveness of, of Christ. When you think about Scripture saying, it says, our sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. The second thing I want to share with you tonight is this, and that's the last one we have. Blessed is the one who has been set free from the price of of sin. Blessed is the one, blessed, blessed is the one who has been set free from the price of sin. What is the price of sin? The wages of sin is death. I'll be honest with you, I don't think there's a morning that goes by that I don't wake up and when I'm praying, I think often about the rich man, the story of rich man and Lazarus. And I think of people who notoriously walked off into their eternity and from all indications, did not know Christ. And I think about that, the fact that there's no mourning in hell. 
meaning there is no morning, noon, night, no daytime, no, no dip. It is the same all the time. And I actually get a, a sick feeling inside. It's an it's a energizing feeling, meaning, God, I have an obligation to reach all of those people that we have the opportunity to reach with the gospel. But, oh, God, those people have been an eternity separated from you. I can't even imagine for five minutes, much less 2,000-plus years. I can't even fathom that. But that's the reality of people every single day that stand right here and mock God's word, mock truth, they literally think that there's no consequence for their actions. They can do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to. They will bow to no one. No one will tell them what to do. And it, it literally, it gives me this cold, sick feeling inside when I think about that. Because as people will say that, your first inclination is to get mad. You know, you want to, you what's wrong with you? You know, you arrogant jerk. No, these are lost people that are behaving like lost. These are deceived people. These people are nothing more than what we were before Christ, born in their, their, their sin. And all of us were. And but by the grace of God and the forgiving power of Jesus Christ, there go I. And I realize that. And as I think about those people, I just, God, don't let one person that I come into contact with me not be spiritually on my A game and recognize the indicators that you allow to happen so that I can say what needs to be said. I can keep my mouth shut when it needs to be kept shut. But God, let me be a reflection of your glory. Let them see Christ lived out in my life. I want people to see the blessed man who's been set free from the price of sin and see me for what I am, good, bad, and indifferent, and recognize that God can do the same thing for them. See, tonight we're blessed. We're blessed because we sit in here having received the good, the good news of the gospel, having responded to that. But tonight, there are people that we'll come into contact with this week that have not experienced that. They've not tasted and seen the goodness of God they are lost and they are dead in their trespasses and sins, believing that they're alive spiritually, believing that they've got everything that they need and they don't need the weak-willed, gun-toting, whatever they call it. They call us Christians so many different things, it's harder to remember them all. But these weak-willed people that have to hang on to religion and all the things that they say, not understanding the foolishness of the heart that has been darkened by sin's hold, Tonight, you're blessed. I'm blessed. Forgiven and blessed is the one that's been washed clean. We have been washed clean. We are objects of God's mercy tonight because of Jesus Christ becoming the wrath of God for us. I don't think we grasp that really as much as we really should, realizing that, that God's wrath was placed on his son for sin. Jesus bore the wrath of God in our place hung on the cross, every single thought, action, word, or deed placed on him, he bore singularly the wrath of the Father in our place so that tonight we can stand righteous in his presence, so that we can go to bed tonight, be an object of God's mercy. I think we're not blessed so blessed. God is so faithful. 
He is so good. Not only that, he's preparing a place for us for all eternity. The ones that killed his son, the ones that even still as followers of Christ battle sin day in and day out in this, this body that is corrupted by sin, and yet even in that, God is so mercifully and beautifully preparing an eternal home for us that upon completion, when our work on earth is done, we will go to the place he's prepared for us. That leaves me speechless. Oh, the love of God for us. Tonight, God in his presence one day is not gonna see us. He's gonna see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And what it will do, it shields us that's why I love, one of the reasons I love the, the solid rock, the robe of righteousness. And he shall come with trumpet sound on may I then and him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. What a powerful picture tonight of people that are so blessed, we're blessed beyond measure. And the question is, I've seen it, and I've battled it even myself. You know, we're saved. Your kids are believers. Your family, hey, let's just go enjoy playing church. That's not the call of a disciple. The call of a disciple is not to bask in the glory of salvation, in the glow of, of thanksgiving, and just sit in a pew and warm it up for 50 years until it's our time to go. No. God's called us to be disciples. To go you there for. What does go you there for? To a stay-at-home mother or a person that has that home ministry, that's being faithful where you're at. For somebody who's called to be an on-the-road salesman or goes into a place every, every day to a school or to a business or whatever it might be, God's called you to go to that place that you have been called to go. God has placed us all in various mission fields. All we have to do is be faithful where God's placed us. And don't think that, oh, well, my ministry is a stay-at-home mom or a person that works in the home. You know, that's not nearly as important as Billy Bob over there, uh, Sharon Jean, who goes out to that big uh, business with all those people and gets to talk to all those people about the Lord. You know, I'm not doing what they're doing. and not, I can't be faithful, you know, with, with sharing to lots of people like they do, really. You know that God can use that stay-at-home mother that's faithfully committed and submitted to his will to transform the life of that little one that they've got on their knee that's about to drive them crazy. And that person can be the next Billy Graham as they pray feverishly over that child day in and day out, year in and year out. God can raise up that child to change the world for Christ. But if out of disobedience that mother leaves the ministry that God wants her in at that moment and goes and does what she thinks will give her an opportunity to better serve the Lord, it doesn't matter if she sees a thousand people a day. It will be ineffective because if it is not God's will, God cannot and will not bless it. So that's why it is, is of the utmost importance to be faithful 
where God's placed you. And that's what has been so important in the, reiter the reiteration of what we're learning in the experience in God with Blackaby. God is at work all the time. God is at work in our homes. God is at work in our families. God is at work in your workplace. God is at work everywhere. Now, is it about us deciding, hey, you know, I, I want to do this, and this is what I want to go and do? No, it is about God leading you to where God wants you because it's God's desire, God's will, God's purpose, God's plan. That's what matters above all. It doesn't matter what we think. It matters what he thinks. And that person that's blessed, they realize it, they're forgiven, they're blessed, that's the one that's washed clean, they realize that. And what they want to do is, in obedience, they want to yield themselves to the potter's hand, the potter's wheel, and allow God to form them, mold them, make them after his will. And then again, blessed is the one who's been set free from the price of sin. What is the price? The wages of sin is death. We have been set free from death. We have been set free from the constraints of that. Tonight, are we going to allow ourselves to sit and glow in the bas uh, bask in the glow of, of being a follower of Jesus Christ and in the process, abdicate our responsibility or reject our responsibility to go and be a lighthouse? I hope not. What I hope tonight does is remind us of the beauty and also allow, as I shared you there with, with King David, let King David be a cautionary tale. Let Samson be a cautionary tale. Let Ananias and Sapphira, why are they in the Bible? What, what do you think God put that there for? I'll tell you why. Let them be cautionary tales. Cautionary tales that remind us God's given us free will. He has given us the ability tonight to make decisions to honor, to glorify, and to submit to him. Or we can take captive and do whatever we want to do with our lives. We, we, we have free will. But there are ramifications to it. God used Samson's sin for his glory. Can you imagine? Yeah, he, he used Samson to bring judgment on the Philistines. Do you think that had Samson honored what his parents said, that God could not have used Samson to judge the Philistines and he would have had his eyes? He would not have been at a grinding mill being mocked and laughed at by the Philistines? What was, it says, you know, some people will interpret when it says in there, this was of God. Yeah, God allowed Samson's sin to be turned and used for his glory. God doesn't ordain sin, church. God is not the architect of sin, it's us. And God could have used Samson in a mighty way, continuing to judge them with his strength and done it that way. But because Samson couldn't keep control of himself, sadly, the ramifications of his sin brought great hurt and great heartache, I would say, not only to him and many people that adored him, but I also think often about his parents. Can you imagine as his parents would have heard the, the end result of Samson's sin of defying what they wanted, the blessing that they wanted, this Nazarite vow that Samson had been under? We don't have to be a cautionary tale. We can God will allow us to be a cautionary tale if we decide to run off and go do what we want to do. He will. You might be the cautionary or I might be that cautionary tale for someone down the road. I don't want that and I hope you don't want that. But we have free will and we have a choice. But tonight, don't forget, blessed is that one who's been set free. Don't go back into a yoke of bondage. Stay free. Free in the mercy, the grace, 
free to spend time in God's word and allow God to pour out his innermost thoughts to you and, and I, pouring out our heart in his presence as we pray, not some cheap thrill of sin that is only fun, as scripture says, for a season. There is a great price to pay. When Jesus died in our place, he paid much too high a price for his children to be involved in lies and cheap thrills that bring nothing but heartache, pain, hurt, and misery. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, tonight for the blessing of forgiveness, Lord, the blessing of what Jesus Christ did in our place, dying, bearing our sin debt, Father, so that we can be your righteousness, Father. Thank you, Lord, tonight for that treasure, God, that privilege to serve you, to glorify, to honor you because of Jesus Christ's payment in our place. Father, I pray as we go out into our mission fields, Lord, or tonight, even as we lay in bed and reflect on our week, Lord, that we will be overwhelmed, God, with the goodness of you. You've been so faithful to us. You have poured out exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Father, as we go into a new week, let us be ever reminded, God, that we are the hands and feet of you, and we're called to be that. Lord, let us go out into our mission fields and be a reflection of your glory, Lord, each and every person that we come into contact with. Lord, let us share the goodness of you and what you've done in our lives, Lord, what you've transformed us into and the immense debt of sin that you've forgiven us of. Father, let us share that with all those that we come into contact with. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts and lives, our families, our workplaces. Lord, that we deal with things we need to generationally, Father, that will stand firm on the scripture, Father, steadfast with an allegiance to you and you alone, God, until that day that you take us home in your presence, Father, as we hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. Father, may you alone be glorified in our lives and one day in our death, and we ask this in Jesus' holy, righteous, and precious name we pray, amen. Love you, have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart and today you would like to make him not only the savior, but the Lord of your life. First, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.